Well, it's hard for me to believe that we are in week four of this message series on forgiveness. And if I was to be completely honest, when I was writing this series, I was thinking to myself, four weeks on forgiveness, or rather six weeks on forgiveness, are we going to be able to uh, handle that? Uh, but what's so interesting to me is, is people are, are writing in, they're catching me when I'm in between moving around. Um, people are stopping by, they're saying to me that, that Doug, this, this message on forgiveness is really resonating with me, that it is having uh, an impact on me. And every single message seems to be different and speaking to different people in different ways. Uh, people are re-listening to the message uh, over and over and uh, from week to week. And, and people are signing up for the Bible study and, and joining that, that group that meets on Mondays. This is, this is a topic, I think, that does resonate with us, even though we're like, man, six weeks on forgiveness, how can we do that? Uh, but as I continue to uh, press in and lean into this, I see that this week is no different than any other. Uh, forgiveness, today's message, I think, has something to speak to you, and it speaks to me. And forgiveness is difficult for us, I believe, in many ways as I think about this topic. It's difficult because it requires effort and it requires trust. Forgiveness is hard because it requires effort from us and it requires trust because trust has been broken when we need to forgive somebody. It's easier for us to blame and to point fingers, right? It's so much easier for us to do that, to blame and to point fingers, especially in the short term, because in the short term, it makes us feel good. We feel good to be able to blame somebody else and, and to point out their weaknesses and, and to withhold forgiveness because when we withhold forgiveness, it, it gives us a sense of control in, in a world where we don't feel in control. Someone out there has hurt us and has taken some of that control and so we blame and we withhold forgiveness because that gives us a measure of control. It's hard for us to forgive because in order for us to forgive, we have to admit that there was a time in our life when we weren't in control. And we don't like that very much. That sometime in our past, someone or something hurt us, and we didn't have a say about it. And when we think about it from those terms, it kind of leads us to a deeper question. I know it does me. It, it leads me into a deeper question. I have to deal with the, the hurt of the past, but I also have a question that goes beyond just the people who have hurt me. And it begins to resonate within me. I want to know, where was God in all of this? Where was God in all of this? I, I want to know, how could God allow something so painful to happen to me at all? That's the deeper question that I struggle with as a person of faith. And perhaps you do too. We've all had a time in our life when it's difficult for us to forgive someone. And, and probably you've asked the question, why didn't God fix that problem? Why didn't God fix the problem? Or, or better yet, where was, where was God when he stole from me? Where was God when she took something that belo didn't belong to her? Where was God when that coworker lied, that father or mother abused, when that friend abandoned? If it's true that God is for me and he's not against me, and if it's true that God has a plan for me, where was the hand of God when I was going through that painful moment? that painful experience in the past, that hurtful relationship, that terrible moment that keeps you up at night still to this day and continues to be so hard and makes it so difficult for you to forgive. Where was the hand of God? One of the reasons that I like Lisa Turkhurst's writing is because she's so vulnerable 
in the way she presents her story. It's refreshing and it's a little shocking to read Lisa's books, to be quite honest, because she's so open about the way she talks about the pain in her life. In fact, in this book that we're going through, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, Lisa mentions a little bit of her story. In other books, she's actually talked more in depth about her story and the pain that she's experienced. But here in this particular book, uh, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, she talks about how she was abused as a child. And in her story, Lisa shares about a photo that was taken of this little girl standing outside of a home where uh, you look at this picture of this little girl with her hair just kind of all messy and you look at this child and you wouldn't look at this picture and think that little girl is being abused by her grandfather's neighbor. You wouldn't think that as you look at this picture, but that's what was going on. In, In Lisa's own words, she says that that man abused her body, but he also tried to destroy her heart, her mind, and her soul. In her own words, she said that in an effort for him to keep his secret, he had twisted the words of Scripture in such a way that it made her feel dirty. And he tried to convince her that she was an awful, awful child. That man stole her innocence. That man stole her childhood simplicity. He yanked her out of her life, and and he threw her into a pit of fear that Lisa says she still fights to stay out of every single day. Now today, if you don't know Lisa, Lisa is the CEO of a ministry that supports and encourages and and educates over half a million women, and even more if you probably count the men who are right by their sides. She has an impact over half a million uh, women who are trying to follow Jesus. And then where was God? Where was God when this little defenseless Lisa was experiencing terror at the hands of her abuser? Where was God in the midst of her life? When we're going through such terrible circumstances, this is a reasonable question for us to ask. It's okay for us to ask it. After the trauma that we've experienced, after the pain we've experienced, we often wonder, God, where are you? Where are you? Where were you when that, that thing, whatever it was that impacted your life, whatever that thing is that's so hard to forgive, God, where were you when that thing happened in my life? Looking back, we can feel like God was absent, right? We can feel like God was absent, but but here's the absolute truth about God. Here's the absolute truth about our God. Our God is not a do-nothing God. Our God is not a do-nothing God. God is always doing something. God is always working. Even when we don't see God in the circumstances at the time, God is at work in the background. We are never alone. But if that's true, Pastor Doug, okay, if that's true, Pastor Doug, where was God in my pain? Where was God in my pain? When that friend gutted me with her words, when that boyfriend deserted me when I needed him, when the coworker gossiped about me and slandered my name, or my family, when they all turned their backs on me, where is God when we are in pain? Where is that loving God that we hear about? And how did that God let that stuff happen to me? When you are suffering so much, that it feels like that even to take another breath is an utter impossibility, it's hard to see God at work. 
And then when you think about the person or the people who have hurt you, when you think about the, the fact that there's so much pain in your life, but there doesn't seem to be so much pain in their life. They seem to be getting off scot-free. They seem to be thriving in their life. They seem to be having it all. They seem to be prospering. If, if that's true for them, then it can feel like God is doing nothing in your life. Where is God? We've all experienced hurt like this. We've all experienced pain when life feels unfair, when the perpetrator of a crime against us seems to be getting off without any, any responsibility. And it seems so completely unchangeable, and the pain seems unforgivable. You want to move on. You want to dream. You want to have a future. But all you can do is stay stuck in the past. When you grieve over someone or something that was taken away, you wish you could go back in time. You wish you could go change those things, but you know you can't do that. You know you can't go back in time. What's in the past is in the past, and it feels so impossible to change because the circumstances feel unchangeable. And they are. We cannot change the past. The circumstances around that painful moment in your life that time when you had that trouble in your life that is so hard for you to forgive, those circumstances are unchangeable to you. I can't go back to six-year-old Doug or, or sixth-grade Doug and his teacher who barraged him with belittling words and, and criticized him and did such a, just a terrible damage to little Doug, such a damage that, that it made my self-esteem lower than anything you can imagine. I can't go back and change what happened to little Doug. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can recognize that in that moment, in that moment in the past, God was still at work. What I can recognize is that God is always in the mix, that he's working behind the scenes, that our God is not a do-nothing God, and that even in our pain, he is up to something. Even in our pain, God is up to something. We're going to see that in the story of Joseph in a minute, in the story of uh, Joseph in Genesis. And in a minute, we're going to hear how one little word in this verse, one little word can mean so much and can explain to us how God is always at work behind the scenes. But before we get to that passage, I want to pray for us and tell you a little bit of backstory. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that you are always in the midst, that you are always working behind the scenes, that God, even in our pain, you are still God. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes up to this truth today, that you would reveal this to us, and that we would hold on to that as we go forward in the future. We pray this all today in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do is I want us to look at a story in Genesis, the story of Joseph. And, and maybe this is a refresher for some of you who remember the story of Joseph. And, uh, Joseph, and maybe if you've never heard the story of Joseph, uh, this will be something new for you. But uh, Joseph was uh, a young man of 17 years old. He was born into a shepherd's family. His father was Jacob. Uh, and he had all of these older brothers. He was the youngest brother of uh, this family. And Jacob, his father, loved him. And the Bible even says he loved his youngest son more than all the others because he had Joseph at such an older age that he just doted on Joseph. And it really kind of rubbed the family raw. So here's this 17-year-old kid who knows that he's the favorite of the family. He, uh, he knows it. His, his brothers know it. And, and then one day, 
the Bible tells us that Joseph was having these dreams. As a 17-year-old kid, he's having these dreams. And the first dream he has, he actually dreams that his brothers would bow down to him. And then, of course, like any 17-year-old kid, he wakes up and says, Hey, guys, let me tell you about this story, this dream I just had. You're going to bow down to me. And his brother's like, Yeah, that doesn't make us very happy. And so that was making them pretty, pretty sour. And then he went he had another dream. And this time, he had a, a dream where all the sun and the moon bowed down to him. And that made, like, everybody angry. Because even his dad's like, What, I'm supposed to bow down to you? So here's this kid. He's sharing his dreams. He's doing his thing. Well, his brothers go out to, uh, to do the shepherding work that they do in the fields, and Joseph goes out to meet them. And while he was traveling to see them, uh, his brothers saw him coming. And they're out in the wilderness. They're away from home. They're away from their camp. And the brothers devise a plan. And they say, let's take him. Let's kill him because he makes us so angry. And so they, they, they decided to plot against him. And, and uh, as they saw him coming, they were making this plan. And then one of uh, the brothers, Reuben, uh, Reuben said, you know, I don't, I don't, this doesn't sit well with me. Let's instead, of, uh, let's instead of killing him, let's just uh, throw him inside of a well. And then Reuben was thinking, I can go back and I can get him later. Uh, but then one of the other brothers came along, Judah, and he thought of another idea. He said, you know, instead of this, let's throw him in the well. But then as some merchants came by, he said, aha, I have an idea. Let's profit off of this. Let's sell our brother to become a slave. And so he sells, uh, the, the brothers sell their brother into slavery. And then they took their brother's coat, this, this wonderful coat that dad had given to them. You may have heard of the Technicolor dream coat. And so they took this beautiful, beautiful coat with many colors and they smothered it with blood and they brought it back to their father. And they say, dad, we're really sorry, but Joseph was killed by a wild animal and he's gone. And, Joseph, and, and, and Jacob, Jacob begins to mourn. And he will not be comforted. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. And so uh, I want to turn to uh, Genesis. I want to turn to chapter, um, uh, chapter 37. And we're looking at verse 35 this morning. It says this. His family tried to comfort him. Jacob's family tried to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted over the news that his son was gone. And he said, I will go to my grave mourning for my son. And then he would just weep. Now, before we go any further, I just want to put it a pause there for a second. And I just want to ask you this question. Can you and I agree that this father has experienced pain? Can, can we agree that this father has experienced pain? In fact, the, the scriptures say he's actively uh, in pain. He's actively weeping. He says he'll go to his grave forever and ever. Uh, he will go to his grave weeping. Someone has taken his son from him, and he doesn't, he doesn't know that his son's been sold into slavery. He doesn't know what the brothers did. What he knows is that Joseph is gone, and he has the blood on the coat to prove it. And so here he is. There's no one to blame. He's not going to blame the animal. That doesn't make sense. He's not going to, there's no closure. There's no one to blame. His youngest son is just whisked away. This father is in terrible agony. He's grieving for his son. How many of us, if we were in Jacob's shoes, would be mourning at this moment? How many of us in this moment would be crying out to God, God, where were you when this happened? Where were you when my son was taken? God, why did this have to happen? Where are you, God, when I'm in so much pain? In fact, if Jacob struggles with forgiveness at any point in time in this, I think it's fair to say that he struggles with forgiveness, forgiving God. Because God's the only one that was there. God's in charge of everything. Why would God let his son be killed? I don't think there's a person on this planet who wouldn't be asking the question, where is God when I'm in so much pain? 
Jacob was in pain. He refused to be comforted and he vowed that he would go to his grave in grief. And then we see something else in the next verse. We're going to turn there. And it says this, meanwhile, hold on to that word for a second, folks. Meanwhile, meanwhile, all this is going on in the tent of Jacob. There's grief and there's, there's these brothers who have lied to their dad. They've given him a, a coat to try and throw him off the scent. And, and dad is in profound grief. He's crying and he's wailing with great sadness. And all of that's going on. Meanwhile, while that's happening, the Midianite traders who received Joseph from the brothers, they arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the guard. Now we're going to talk more about Joseph and his brothers next week. But for this moment, what I want you to know is that while his brothers were devious, while his brothers were devious in how they got rid of him, his father was grieving over him and there was pain in the household even at the moment that he was being sold into slavery in Egypt. God was at work. Meanwhile, God. Meanwhile, God. Here's the thing about the story of Joseph. He, he had a crazy childhood. He had brothers who hated him. He was arrogant and prideful as a 17-year-old. He grew up in a home where his dad played favorites. He was betrayed by his siblings. He was sold into slavery. And the story doesn't stop there. That's not the end of the story. In fact, if we continue on, which we will next week, when he got to Egypt, he was unjustly accused. He was thrown into prison. He was ignored. He was disrespected. And he was forgotten. Until one day when Pharaoh heard about this guy that was in jail that could tell dreams, and Pharaoh sent for him, and, and he believed that Joseph could help him. And, and Joseph came out of prison, and he became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, which was huge at the time. He went from being in prison to becoming a prince. Did all of his pain go away? No. Did the hurt that he experienced at the hands of other people, his, his brothers and, and people in Egypt, did that all just fade away uh, to be forgotten? I can't imagine so. Probably not. So where was God when Joseph was going through all that he was going through? God was there all along. We don't serve a do-nothing God. God is always working even when we don't see it. Even when we don't know how something's going to work out, we can know that the goodness of God, the goodness of God will be with us even in the hardest moments and the longest days. That's something that Lisa says in her book. We don't serve a do-nothing God. There is a physical reality that we see in front of us, but there's also always a spiritual reality of what our good God is doing. And we will only believe that this is true if we wake up and we go to bed every night believing that this is true. Have you ever noticed how it's really hard to wake up in the morning on time if you don't plan to wake up the night before? Experts in time management will tell you that the, the time to decide when you're going to wake up is not when you're trying to hit the snooze alarm in the morning, right? Experts will tell you that uh, if you want to be successful, you plan the night before when you're going to wake up. You plan your day out in advance. You set your alarm, you build a routine so that you can accomplish what you want to for the day. The same is true with us when it comes to God. 
When we're experiencing difficult times, that's not the time to be looking for God. When we're in pain, that's not the moment to be wondering where God's hiding. We can't see Him. The time to trust God is at before. It's the time before we get to our difficult moments. That's when we trust God. You know the truth. That if you know the truth that God is not a do-nothing God, then when you go into hardships, it makes weathering the hardships that much easier. It makes it that much easier to weather the storms that this life will throw at you and throw at me. So how can you believe this before you get to the hard times? Remind yourself over and over and over and over and over and over and over that you serve. You, uh, you serve a God who is not a do-nothing God. God is always doing something. He is always at work. We might not be able to see what God is doing at the moment when we sometimes feel like we need to see Him, but trust that God is working. So when you set your alarm tomorrow morning, say to yourself, God is not a do-nothing God. He's at work in my life and doing that each day until it becomes as natural as breathing in and breathing out, breathing in and breathing out. If you do that, you will set yourself up to be able to let go of past hurts. That's how you let go of the past hurts and you allow God into the broken pieces of your life. That's how we're able to even forgive. Because when you know that God is not a do-nothing God, you realize that you are not alone. You realize that you are not alone, that the pain you're experiencing, it is very real. You can't fake that away. You can't imagine it away. You can't just gloss over it. The pain you're experiencing is real. The hurt that you felt at another person's hand is real. But if you believe that God is not a do-nothing God, then you believe that, and you believe that God is uh, really at work in your life, even when you cannot see, then that knowledge that empowers you in a way that nothing else can. And actually, knowledge that God is at work is a big piece of the puzzle. Knowing that God is at work, even when you can't see Him, is a big piece of the puzzle that allows you to even begin to think about forgiving someone who's hurt you. And so tonight, when you go to bed, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to put a post-it next to your alarm clock that reminds you that God is always working. Take a post-it, put it on your alarm clock, uh, put it wherever you will look at it often, and and write down, our God is not a do-nothing God. He is always working behind the scenes, even when we are completely unaware. If you trust that, you will be able to go into anything, anything, knowing that God is with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the stories that we see in Scripture that remind us of your incredible love for us and your provision, that even as we are going through horrible things, meanwhile, God is at work. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to gather around that reality and that we would remember that every day and it would become as natural as breathing for us, that we would find peace and that we would find hope in this truth so that when we do face difficult times, when we face horrible traumas that we need to learn how to forgive, Lord, we would know that we don't do that alone, that you are still God, even in the midst of such difficult tragedies. And so God, we pray that you would be with us as we continue uh, to be the church that you've asked us to be. Uh, Be with us uh, every single day, we pray. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.